Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, welcome to episode 22 already of this podcast. Uh, today, I got a great one for you. Uh, Steve on Sens from Twitter joins me and we break down everything with the Sens deadline, the Victor Mete claim, uh, what we expect from guys like JBD and Pinto going forward, and, and just overall where we see this team going forward. Uh, uh, just quickly before we jumped in, I want to say thank you as always for the support. It means a lot. Uh, you know, the pod, podcast Twitter account is up to over 430 followers, I believe now, which is uh, so cool to see. Um, and just thank you for all the likes and shares and downloads and everything on the podcast. It means a ton. Um, as always, I'm also looking for feedback. You know, I, this uh, this episode, much like the last one with Trevor, uh, we don't get into quite as much about the game by game and, and what happened. You know, we look more at the big feature things. And um, so I, I definitely want to know what you guys think, what you guys like, uh, you know, everyone. Just, uh, you know, if, if it sounds better to everyone that uh, if I'm talking about game by game, what we missed over the past week, or if people would rather just kind of the big storylines here and going forward, or, or, you know, a mix of both, because I've uh, been definitely trying to experiment, and uh, I definitely will keep on experimenting as, you know, the, the last couple weeks here are uh, pushing through, yeah, you know, after the trade deadline, now that Ottawa's out of it, um, there's a, there's enough to look at. There's still a bunch of interesting storylines to keep an eye on for sure, but uh, it's probably good that there's only two or three weeks left after the trade deadline, not two or three months like it uh, is sometimes. So, um, yeah, I, I hope everyone enjoys this episode, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. Joining me now, he is the one and only Steve Onsen. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? It's going well. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I really want to, you're, you're someone I wanted to get on when I, you know, started the podcast. And so you're one of, you're one of my favorite falls. And if, you know, already I'll just plug your stuff. If people aren't following you, you got to go do that. But uh, yeah, I, I thought this was the perfect time, you know, right after the trade deadline, it's uh, enough to talk about this week. It, it feels weird because this was a pretty quiet trade deadline for the NHL standard, but also the Senators standards over the past couple of years, you know, we've been used to them pretty being pretty heavy sellers. And this year uh, for good reason, they weren't, but I want to run down some of the moves that, uh, with you and just, you know, get your thoughts on them. I'll give mine as well. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll start with uh, before the trade uh, or, you know, well, let's start with the trades and then we'll go with the waiver claim, I guess. Um, I'll just start with the biggest one, I guess. They're all pretty small, but the biggest one would definitely be Mike Riley out for a third to Boston. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about whether they should keep Mike Riley or not. He was a he ended up being a guy who I don't know if I can remember a player arc like this for a Senators player in a while where, at the beginning of the season, people legitimately wanted him healthy scratch because he looked like a mess. And he turned out to be a guy that like was really good along Artem Zub and, uh, you know, people almost turned the other way where they said that you could keep him. What were your thoughts on the trade? Uh, would you have kept Riley? Did you like the return? Uh, just give me your thoughts on everything there. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the trade. I'd say um, I think a third round pick is a, is a decent return. Um, and I think when you're looking at Mike Riley, I, I, I've definitely been impressed with his play, especially since being paired with Zub. I think that's been a, a huge revelation and really reflects on uh, how solid Zub uh, has been. Um, but I think if you're looking at the left side, you've obviously got uh, Shabbat as your your number one defenseman. But um, you really need to see what you have uh, with Eric Branstrom before Jake Sanderson steps in, presumably at the end of next year. Um, so I think you really need to give Branstrom that opportunity to play with a, a partner who isn't Eric Goodbranson or Ron Hainsey, uh, give him solid, consistent minutes and see what he can do because, um, you know, hopefully he can be a, a player that um, obviously exceeds uh, what Mike Rowley was, uh, was giving the team. Um, and I think you really need to figure that out before um, you make some larger roster decisions. So uh, I'm pretty happy with that. I think a third round picks probably about where I expected um the return to be um so overall i'd say i'm i'm, I'm pretty happy with that and uh you know i, I like mike rally towards the end but uh you've you got a plan going forward and i think um branstrom's a an exciting spot in the the second uh, left uh, side defenseman role yeah i think a theme here we're you know obviously going to get to through the trade deadline is dorian really taking pieces away from dj smith and and forcing his hand on who he's going to be playing for the rest of this year, especially up that left side. And, um, you know, I, I was one of the, I, I think the the return is pretty good too. I, I graded a couple of the, tra- or most of the trades uh, from this deadline in an article for last word on hockey. And this one, I gave a B. I thought it was just average. You know, if you look at B as average, you know, that's right where I expected as well. You know, I was, I was happy with the third round pick. I thought maybe it would be a fourth. I, I didn't think there would be any way it'd be a second. So when it came in as a third, I was like, that's okay. Um, I would have been okay keeping Riley around for one more year now that Sanderson's going back to school, but 
I also really think that, you know, as much as I did like what Mike Riley brought along with Zub at the end of this year, you can find a Mike Riley relatively easy. And I mean, case in point, they traded for him from, from Montreal for a fifth round pick last year. There's all, there's all types of guys like that on the left side that I think you can go out and find. And so, you know, I, I saw people saying you should sign him to a two or three year deal. And I, I would much rather the pick, I think just, you know, take a third rounder. Um, you know, now you have to play branch drum and we'll get to the, the second guy that they picked up as well. But um, yeah, I, I thought that was a solid piece of, you know, dealing. I, I thought it was, their best, maybe second best uh, deal of the deadline, depending on how you look at just losing dead weight. It was definitely the best player they got rid of, but um, obviously for, for good reason, the best return as well. So, um, you know, the next move they make, another left-handed defenseman out, Braden Coburn for a, a seventh round pick. Um, I gave this one a B plus personally. I think that um, the fact that they got anything for Braden Coburn at this point was pretty impressive. I was not expecting much and, you know, seventh round pick is not much, but the fact that they didn't have to take anything back either, they just got rid of Coburn, freed up a space for, you know, again, Branchdom or someone else to play on the left side. Uh, I, I really thought that was a good piece of deal. And when you look at the deal as a whole, like they got a second round pick to take on Paquette and Coburn. Um, they then flip Paquette for Ryan Dezingle, and I guess Galchenyuk went the other way too, and they got a seventh for Coburn. So you use Paquette and Coburn for 20-ish games each. You get a seventh, a second, and Ryan Dezingle. That's a good piece of business by Pierre Dorian, in my opinion. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, these are the uh, the kind of moves I think as fans we've been wanting to see the organization make um, where you're kind of weaponizing cap space because um, that trade really started uh, when they flipped out uh, Andrew Nielsen and Marion Gabrick. Uh, to the lightning for that for that package so I mean there's some frustration there in terms of I don't think fans really loved Braden Coburn and uh, and Cedric Paquette when they were there when they were here um, but uh, you pick up some some solid draft picks and then uh, you end up flipping it for some uh, for some games from from Ryan Dezingle so um, I'm pretty happy with that the, the only real drawback I think when you take on those players uh, is that it eventually caused you know a player like Rudolph Balsers to be uh, put on waivers and eventually claimed but saying that, um, that also comes down to organizational valuation. And um, they clearly didn't think that he was, I guess, better than, you know, a player like Alex Galchenyuk, which is a bit perplexing, but I'm not going to lose any, any real sleep over this. Yeah, and I think even with that, too, is there, there was an avenue where this Coburn trade and uh, Paquette trade was made where you don't lose Balsers because you just put those guys on the taxi squad. And, um, you know, we'll discuss this a little later, too, but um, I, I'm very curious, and we're never going to get an answer of this, of course, but I'm really curious as whether that's what Pierre Dorian saw or if Pierre Dorian thought that these guys were NHL regulars as well because, um, you know, obviously he has a say in the lineup and who he's waving, but... I do really wonder what that power structure is like behind doors because, um, you know, this deadline to me suggests that, uh, you know, Dorian kind of went, all right, enough is enough. We're taking away all the pieces. You're playing the guys I want you to play. But uh, part of me says if, if that's really how Dorian felt at the beginning of the year, I would have rather him just see done that at the beginning of the year too. Right. And again, there's gotta be some give and take with your coach, but um, yeah, the fact that they lost balsters for bringing in these guys didn't, I, I, when, the, when the trade happened, I kind of said it made sense in a vacuum, but it's why making the step on trade didn't make a ton of sense to me. Bringing in Eric Goodbranson didn't make a ton of sense to me. Like doing all of those and then also bringing in Paquette and Coburn didn't make sense. But if you look at just this deal in a vacuum, I, I didn't mind it at all. And I'm just, you know, ha I'd, happy he's off the team is maybe the wrong word because I'm sure he's a good guy or whatever, but happy I don't have to watch him on ice and I get to see more of my favorite players on ice now. That is definitely a plus. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I mean, there were definitely some head scratchers um, with uh, the acquisitions Dorian brought in. And I mean, I'm pretty high on on uh, how he's, you know, assembled this young core. But I, I mean, I do have some concerns um, going forward about his his pro scouting ability. I don't think that's really ever been um, his or the organization's strong suit. So um, that's something that, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I'll be looking at uh, as he tries to build this team into a contender. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those things where that's going to be the biggest thing of this upcoming offseason, really. Like, the, the team is there. The young core is there. You can see it. There's the guys there. You know, they're still growing. That's great. But how are you going to surround this team in the, in the offseason? And it, it can't be by simply going and get more step-ons and good Bransons and, you know, those kind of players of the world. If you're going to add to this team, you need to add someone of some value, whether that's just a good third pairing defenseman, a good second pairing defenseman. I don't really know, but 
you need to not add bad players basically. And, and that's going to be the biggest question heading into this offseason for me, because um, you know, it, it's a big target now that the deadline's over, but you know, where, where do we see the senators next year? If they're a bottom five team, I think that's a legitimate disappointment again next year. Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I don't think the, they need to make the playoffs next year, but I think they absolutely need to be in contention for a playoff spot. Um, so um, you know, I don't think they have any real need to add a bottom pairing defenseman. You already got Josh Brown sticking around for next year. Um, so I think if they're, if they're going to target um, uh, a free agent or, or a different veteran, I think they really need to um, either add a top four defenseman. Uh, I think ideally next year, um, Nikki Zaitsev isn't um, Shabbat's partner. Maybe it, it's Jacob Bernard Docker. I mean, that remains to be seen. Um, but I think at this stage in the rebuild, you really need to start targeting, um, you know, solid um, players who can really contribute. Yeah, absolutely. I'll get, we'll get back into that because I want to get to JBD's debut in a little bit. And uh, let's go to the last trade of the deadline here. And it's uh, this is the one I had ranked the lowest, not because like, I, again, I'm happy they got anything in return. But just when you look at the overall um uh, you know, development of how it went through. Erica Branson for a seventh round pick, and oh, geez, I completely forget Brandon that. Brandon Fortunato. Yes, uh, who is an AHL depth player at this point. You know, he's a 24 year old left defenseman. Um, a, a contract going back the other way, which is fine. Um, I gave this trade a C, not because of the trade itself. If it's you know, I probably would have said a B, B minus, but. Uh, the fact that you gave up a fifth earlier for Gabranson, and again, a fifth round pick is nothing major, but at the time of that trade, everyone saw that trade and said, Gabranson at $4 million is not someone you actively give up an asset for. It's someone you take an asset to take on the contract. And I get Gabranson seems like a great guy in the room. You know, um, there was a uh, rumor, you know, Branstrom seemed to like him, although it didn't help Branstrom at all because he still got healthy scratch half the time. Um, but, you know, like the off ice stuff is great, but there's got to be at some point you need to be able to at least be okay on ice. And he just clearly wasn't. And that wasn't a surprise to anything. So, you know, when you look at it as you gave up a fifth for what, 30 games of Gabranson to move him out for a seventh in 2023 and an AHL player, it's like it's just not the greatest all round package. Is it something that's going to kill the Sens? Absolutely not. But it's just one of those things where it's like this can't happen again next summer. Yeah. Um that's the kind of, of depth the move um, that was a bit strange because it also, you know, also coincided with them bringing in uh, a Josh Brown player. And it also happened shortly after they decided uh, that they weren't going to bring back, you know, a Mark Borbievsky or, you know, the previous year where the, or no, it was last year too, where they decided to, to trade Dylan DeMillo. So uh, it was kind of weird. They shipped out, you know, the players who were already here and providing some okay, solid, uh, depth uh, defense uh, and they brought in uh, those two new guys so uh, that was another one of Dorian's kind of weirder moves I mean he seems like a, a like you said a, a, seems like a great guy um, seems like uh, he was a good leader in the room but um, you know I'm I'm pretty happy we're we're moving on from him even if it is you know a seventh round pick in 2023 coming back um, you know it's it's Clearly, the the signal from the deadline is that this is uh, the young cores team now, and uh, I'm really excited to to see this team move forward. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, like it's it kind of shows how um, not great if Branson was on the ice, but like I honestly think bringing back Ron Hainsey for another year would have been a better choice than giving up an asset for Gabranson. Like, not that I think he's much better either, but it's just one of those things where it's like at least you wouldn't have to give up an asset. But again, it, it happened. It is what it is. Um, do you have any words at all on Brandon Fortunato that you want to talk about? Because I had never heard of the guy. I have nothing. Um, do you have anything to say on this piece of the trade? Uh, fun name. Uh, nothing to add. There we go. And I think that's about the, the analysis that we need. He played 48 games in the ECHL last year. So um, I just really don't see him. He, he's AHL depth, which at this point, whatever, that's fine. I think, uh, you know, they, they could use that in Belleville anyway. So uh, what are you going to do? Um, then the, the waiver claims, so, you know, they move out a whole bunch of left-handed defensemen and then even good Branson who DJ Smith had practicing on the left side after the trade deadline or on trade deadline day. Uh, they bring in Victor Mete off a waiver claim from Montreal. Mete is a 22 year old puck moving defenseman, smaller body um, reminds me enough of Eric Branstrom, a little different type of player, but um, similar mold really. And uh 
Yeah, when these trades started happening, though, though everyone was kind of like, yeah, Mete seems like an obvious fit to shore up your left side here. You need another body. That's exactly what they did. Um, I love this side or this waiver pickup. Honestly, I, I think it's just it's a no risk move. If he doesn't work out for whatever reason this year, you just move on from him. Or you can even give him one more year on your left side. And if it's not working out 20 games in the next year, you can just scratch him or trade him or whatever, wave him again. You know, like, I, I just think it's like the perfect move for a team that just sold three guys at the deadline. You fill up your depth again. You have a guy with legitimate upside this time. And he can, he can fit perfectly on your second or third pair. You know, especially that third pair. We've seen that he's a good third pair defenseman. And now if you want to ease someone like JBD into the lineup, Mete's not a bad partner to have. You know, he's only 22, but he's played like 180 NHL games. He's been in the league for four seasons already. Um, what were your thoughts on this? Because I really thought this was a savvy pickup. Yeah, I mean, I I was pretty happy with it. Um, it seemed like a pretty obvious move to make, especially after uh, the Mike Rowley trade. I wonder if uh, they had any inside info that Buffalo wasn't going to claim them. And then maybe that influenced their decision to to part ways with uh with Mike Rowley, but like you said, uh, it's, it's about as low risk as it gets. He has a cap hit of $735,000 uh, for the rest of this year. And then he's an RFA, so you can just walk away from him. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, how he fits with this team. I mean, he's only 22 years old, so he's, he's, you know, below the average age of the team. Um, and uh, um, it should be interesting to see him get this free tryout. Uh, I, I'm curious to see, you know, how open to, pairing him maybe with Jacob Bernard Docker, DJ Smith is because, you know, he has a tendency to, to like to pair with a, a young defenseman with a, with, you know, maybe a, an older type player. Um, so, I mean, that remains to be seen, but uh, I've liked what I've seen so far and uh, looking forward to watching him for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, part of that is I think like DJ Smith really just isn't going to have the option with pairing uh, guys with veterans too much anymore, either on that left side, just because they're like, this has got to be one of the youngest defense cores in the league. Last night when Bernard Docker stepped in for Zaitsev, you had uh, the oldest guy was Josh Brown at 27, Zub's 25, Shabbat's 24, JBD's 20, Brandstrom's 21 and Mete's 22. So like just quickly doing the math on that, I would say the average age is around 24, which has to be one of the youngest blue lines in the league. And, um, you know, it's going to lead to some mistakes, but that's okay. And, and, you know, I've liked Mete in a small role so far. He's played two games with Ottawa and I don't think he's been particularly noticeable, but I don't think that's a bad thing either. You know, like I haven't, I haven't noticed him make any mistakes or anything. He's making the small plays he needs to make. And if that's all he does for the remainder of this year, I, I don't think that's a bad thing because again, that's useful enough to have as your third pair defenseman where, you know, we watch 20 something games of Braden Coburn just getting absolutely walked on the blue line sometimes. And it's just like, as long as those plays aren't happening, I, I really don't care what else you do. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's been solid so far. I mean, I think he's been pretty good on the breakout. And there's one thing I've noticed in the last few games against Winnipeg is that the Sens have been a lot better at, at their transition game. Um, they've been a lot quicker in getting puck up ice, which I mean, forces play and uh, it makes it more difficult for uh, for the opposing team. So I mean, I'm liking this new look uh, defense. I mean, we'll see, you know, maybe they end up getting caved in at some point, but I mean, that's bound to happen with a young team. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with where things are looking right now. I mean, um, Jacob Bernard Docker, look, I mean, you said we're going to get to that later, but Jacob Bernard Docker looked solid in his NHL debut. And then, um, you know, next year you, you add Jake Sanderson to, to this team. I, I, I think you could be looking at a pretty good uh defensive core going forward for for several years so um i think it's, it's exciting to watch this blue line evolve yeah absolutely and, and jbd's right where i wanted to get into now as well because you know it kind of fits with mente mente's played two games he got in his first last night jbd and yeah i i thought he looked okay you know again i didn't think he stood out necessarily and i don't think that's a bad thing for a guy playing his first nhl game you know you don't need to go out and score a goal and lay a big hit or anything you just JBD just needs to make the nice smart plays. And I thought he did that a couple of times. You know, there's a couple of highlights where, uh, you know, he, he was forced pressure behind his net and he just made a nice little chip pass to his, his partner, whether that was Shabbat or, um, you know, I, I think he was playing a little bit with uh, Mete on, on the third pair of times, but it was a lot of Shabbat double shifting last night is what I noticed. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he, I thought he played fine. And I think that's a good start. You know, it reminded me a lot of uh, Stutzel's debut kind of where, he didn't necessarily fly off the score sheet in his first four or five games, but it was pretty obvious that he wasn't panicking and he was just kind of doing the little things right. And 
as a rookie in, in your first NHL game, I think that's all you can really ask for because, you know, we know how skilled a guy like JBD is and, and, you know, the, the skilled plays will come as he gets more confidence. And I thought he looked a little shaky at first, but by the third period, I didn't really notice him at all. And I, I think that's a good thing. Like, yeah, absolutely. I think if you're, if you're a two way, a 20 year old two way defenseman, uh, I think you're pretty happy if you didn't stand out in your first NHL game. It seemed like he had a bit of jitters to start, but that's pretty normal. And then uh, I think he even said it in the in his interview post game is that he he settled in in the second and third period. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to. I mean, I'm I'm hoping he uh, he's playing Saturday. I imagine he will. Uh, that'll actually be interesting because Josh Brown played over 20 minutes last night. Um, seemed like DJ Smith was pretty big on him. So I wonder if uh, if Zaitsev comes back in, what happens with with Brown there. I hopefully he, uh, hopefully he gets scratched, but we'll, we'll see. But yeah, overall, uh, I was pretty happy with Bernard Docker's debut. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll, he'll settle in as a, as a really good, uh, stable presence alongside Shabbat. Um, uh, I don't think Shabbat Zaitsev has been, um, you know, the, the best pairing in the world. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that evolves. Yeah, it was funny with Zaitsev, especially he and I, like, I, I thought he played great for the first 10 games or so, you know, his underlying numbers look pretty solid for for 10 or 15 games. And since then, he's been just as bad as the old Zaitsev we remember. But I feel like he's like fans memories of him are still coasting off that first 10 to 15 game stretch where he wasn't bad. It's like Zaitsev just he's a third pair defenseman, I think, at best at this point. And and the fact that he routinely gets 20 minutes a night or whatever on that top pair, it's. I get they, to an extent, don't really have a better option because they want Zoo playing on that second pair with either Mike Riley or now Eric Branstrom. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but it would be uh, huge for this team if JBD can even become just an average guy to play along Shabbat, alongside Shabbat because, you know, it's just painfully obvious that he needs some help there too. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into his play in a second. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I thought it was good for uh, JBD. I don't see why you should scratch him now. Um, I, I know there were some people who said, you know, it's smarter to take your time. Don't don't rush him and Pinto who's just getting their legs underneath them after a week of quarantine. But now that he's been in the game, I, I don't see why you scratch him. You got, what, 15 games left here. Just play those guys the rest of the season. See what you have, because that's what the most important part of this is going to be. And he played 15 and a half minutes last night, which is more than I thought he might actually. So I, I was pleasantly surprised. Like it was after Shabbat, obviously, who played like, Oh, I don't even know. I'm assuming it was high 20s again. It was, you know, Josh Brown played 16, 27. And, uh, you know, and this is just, oh, this is just five on five. I guess I should go all situations, shouldn't I? But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a pretty good look. Uh, Brent Branstrom played 18 minutes total last night. Josh Brown played 20. Um, so if, you know, that kind of goes on again, and I'm assuming you'll probably sub sites of in for Brown in that 20 minute mark. But I think the long-term play here is you want to see Bernard Docker become someone who can, who can overstep Zaitsev, uh, you know, in that role. And if he can't this year, I would be really looking for, you know, a, a second pair defenseman in the off season for a, a year or two deal. I, I don't know. Like it's tough because I think they really needed, they, as you mentioned earlier, they can't have Zaitsev playing 20 minutes a night next year. If JBD's not ready, I, I want them to make a move. I just don't know what that fit is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think, uh, you know, Zaitsev, I don't think he's a top pairing defenseman. Uh, and it's a bit of an interesting situation because on the right side, you're running right now. Uh, Zaitsev, Zub, Brown, and then obviously Jacob Bernard Docker is there too. Um, and uh, if, if Bernard Docker can't make um, the jump or maybe he has to spend some time in Belleville next year, um, then you're looking at a pretty uh, not great situation on the right side uh, once again. Um, so um, it'll be up to Pierre Dorian and his staff to, to assess that. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that Bernard Docker should be able to step in. Um, and then uh, I guess you, in an ideal world, you'd run Bernard Docker, Zub, Zaitsev. Um, but I think there's still a lot of question marks there that uh, I'd be pretty comfortable bringing in uh, a top 4D uh, to log some minutes there. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, if they were willing to scratch Zaitsev, I think that's kind of the move you make. And then you could bring in a top four defenseman for a year or two. And then even if JBD is ready to play in the NHL, it could be in third pair minutes alongside Victor Mete or, you know, even, I don't know, like whoever they have on the left side there. I would hope it's Mete. But, you know, again, I don't see this, that organ, this organization doing that necessarily, but I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. Um, the other thing I want to get to on this blue line is on the left side, and that would be Thomas Shabbat's minutes. Uh, it's kind of insane just how much he's playing. Like, I think he's averaging now 
over like 27 minutes a night. He played 26, 39 last night. And um, it was painfully obvious by the end of the night that he was just exhausted as it is, you know, a lot of nights. I think that Shabbat is someone who has maybe taken some unfair criticism this year at times. Like I feel like people are acting as if he's not a first pair defenseman playing 25 plus minutes a night, like, or he shouldn't be. And, you know, I don't think he needs to be playing as much, but I think he's been fine. But the fact that DJ Smith seems to refuse to use um, their left side a little more in depth, eh, it blows my mind because it's not like they're running their right side behind Shabbat. Like it's not Zaitsev and Josh Brown behind Shabbat. It's Brandstrom. It was Mike Riley who, you know, we said was both is a pretty solid guy. And and now it's Victor Mete. Like you've had three good options there all year, but he refuses to use them a little more. I, I would really like to see, you know, Eric Branstrom get a minute to a minute or two more, maybe Victor Mete gets two more minutes. And then, you know, you can get Thomas Shabbat from 27, 28 minutes a night down to 24, 25. And, you know, on the nights you really need them, maybe 26, but I, I just, I don't think this is a long-term strategy for success. And in, especially in a meaningless year like this, I'm a little frustrated just seeing how much they're using him as a workhorse right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this stems back to earlier in the season uh, when the left side was Shabbat, um, Riley, uh, Brandstrom, and Coburn, uh, I don't think uh, DJ had a had a whole lot of faith at the start of the year. Certainly in in Riley uh, or Brandstrom. Oh well, I, I completely forgot Christian Willandon too, uh, another guy who uh, DJ Smith uh, certainly didn't fall in love with. Um, so uh, it stems from his his inability to trust those guys. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll start to see. Um, some more trust uh, from Smith towards Branstrom um, going forward. I think he's, Branstrom's looked really solid in the past two games alongside Zub. Um, he's picked up, uh, I believe, some penalty killing time. Um, he's played late in the game. Uh, so um, I think this is something that you know, we will see um, you know, more time from the bottom two on the left side and pr- hopefully uh, less time from Shabbat because I, th- I think it is pretty unsustainable. Um, to ask this guy who's, um, you know, still only in his fourth NHL season, he's a pretty young defenseman, um, to be asking him to play uh, those kind of minutes. I think uh, once Carlson was shipped out, we it, we kind of expected Shabbat to be able to step in and play that way, but uh, it's pretty evident that, uh, you know, Eric Carlson uh, was and is, is a pretty special player. Uh, it's pretty hard to replace him. So um, overall, uh, I do think uh, Sen should be really trying to, to minimize – well just play Shabbat a bit less. Um, I also think uh, there's, there's been some, some discussions over whether or not he, he might have a nagging injury. And I think uh, that could very well possibly be the case. So um, looking forward to seeing how that, uh, that works next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's been a workhorse this year. He's barely, t- I think he's missed what one or two games maybe. And like, when you play that much, it's your, your risk of injury is just naturally going to go up. Right. And um, you know, it just, it's, it's things like last night, like in that Winnipeg game where, uh, you know, the, the third goal, he just stopped skating, you know, the, the puck gets by him. He just stopped skating. And I don't know if he just thought the puck was deeper than it actually was. If he thought it was going for an icing, if his partner was farther over, or if he was just exhausted, it was just a mental lapse, but you know, Lewis just drives right by him. And um, you know, another interesting thing is also, uh, I forget who tweeted this out. It might've been the Sens hour podcast, but um, they, they were looking at Shabbat's shift length and he's averaging like a minute 17 per shift, which uh, in the NHL is pretty aggressive as well. And I'm wondering if, you know, maybe he needs to tone those down a little bit. I think there's definitely a couple of times where he gets caught in or not even caught. They, they have a good cycle going in the offensive end and he gets caught going back to the defensive end. And that leads to a minute 45 shift where, um, you know, maybe if he, if he cycles off in the offensive end, that does it. But um, as you said, I'm really curious to see how it develops because um, you know, I, I have no problem if someone like Shabbat is, in an actual playoff stretch run, like if, if the Sens were in a playoff spot right now and you're gearing them up for the playoffs, yeah, sure, play them as much, especially once you get to the playoffs. Play them 30 minutes a night. That's what Victor Hedman does for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But this team is nowhere near the playoffs. Like they're in 30th place right now, and they've been bottom three for the past four years. Save his legs for when you're actually going to need them down the road and, and, you know, and, and give other guys a shot too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, uh, these are meaningless games. This is where you got to see – uh, what you have in uh, in your players like Branstrom and Mete. So um, if I were DJ Smith, I'd be 
you know, leaning on those guys uh, a bit more. And obviously, Mete is new to the team, so it'll take him, you know, a bit of time to adjust. Um, but uh, in the last 10, 10 or so games, that's what I'd like to see is, uh, is some more time being given to those guys and uh, maybe uh, resting Shabbat a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the other two things I want to talk about, one of the few forward things I have actually on the sheet is, uh, what were your thoughts on keeping Ryan Dezingle? Uh, you know, I know it's back and forth. Do you, do you think the Sens should extend him this year? What would you be looking for in a deal for him or uh, for in a contract extension? Uh, what were your thoughts on keeping Ryan Dezingle at the deadline? Um, I'm okay with it. Uh, I don't know how significant his value would be um, to other teams. It sounds like um, a lot of GMs uh, are kind of buying into the idea that he really only produces uh, when he plays uh, for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm okay keeping him. Um, going forward, uh, I don't know how much space there is on the right side for him or on the left side for him, um, especially with the with the prospects coming up. Because on the left side, you got Kachuk, Stutzla, uh, Paul, and Formanton. Uh, Formanton's obviously, um, you know, solidified a spot at least for the rest of the year, probably next year too. I really, you know, enjoyed watching him. Uh, and, and he brings a lot of uh, similar skills to what Dezingle brings. And then on the right side, um, you've got Batherson, Dadnov, Brown, and uh, and Austin Watson. So I don't really know if there's a spot there. Um, you know, maybe I, I'd consider bringing him back on a one-year deal at a pretty low rate, but I don't know if he'd be uh, looking to do that. So if I had to if I had to bet money on it right now, I would probably say Ryan Dezingle is not here next year. Um, I don't really see a deal um happening um and quite frankly I'm, I'm pretty okay with that i think he's come in he's done a, he's done a good job of you know giving this team some some depth scoring options and uh that, that's about it yeah exactly I, I think i'm you know kind of right on the same page honestly like it's probably boring for some of the people listening to stairs go back and forth and agree but uh yeah i, I thought that you know I, I would have, I was kind of hoping they could find a pick for Dezingle, but if the, the offers were only a sixth or a seventh or whatever, uh, I don't blame them for not moving him. I think he's a fine fourth line piece. Um, you know, I got in a little bit of an argument the other day with someone about whether he's a fourth liner or not. I mean, that's literally where he's playing. That's kind of what he produces. Like, you know, he scores at a middle six rate, but he can't play defense to save his life. So, um, you know, he's kind of a, just the fourth liner. I, I think, Maybe the only avenue where I could see him on this team next year is if they really want to move Stutzla to center and that opens up a left wing spot for him. But even then, like, it's not like they don't have prospects in the minors. Like you would assume at one of these points, they want someone like uh, uh, Vitaly Abramov to come up and show what he can do. And he's a left winger as well. So, you know, I'm assuming there'd be some internal competition uh, right there, you know, like um, I don't even like, uh, probably not Parker Kelly, uh, but, you know, th there's just a couple names that, you know, they they have in their minor league system that are probably not much worse than what Ryan Dezingle brings. Um, that being said, if you can get them on a one-year deal, sure, go for it. I, I really don't care. Like, it's, if it's a one-year deal, it's not going to have any long-term effects. Um, you know, if it's any more than that, I just wouldn't sign him, I, honestly. Like, and, and that's not a slight on him or anything. I, I think he's been a perfect fit for this team, but he shot, you know, in his six goals, he was shooting like 23% or something like that. And it's just, that's just unsustainable. And, you know, it's just, he's a fourth line player. That's what he is. Like, I don't think he should be locking up too many fourth line players for more than one year. And especially when you already have one locked up for two more years in Austin Watson, don't bother locking up both your, your fourth line wing spots. Cause they're very replaceable if, you know, like if you need to. So um, I'm, I'm kind of with you, I, I would have hoped to see them trade him, but if there just wasn't a price that made sense for them at the deadline, like I, I can't really blame them. Um, I was also kind of hoping that Anisimov might uh, get shipped for a pick, but part of me thinks that probably would have been a salary retention thing. And I highly doubt Ottawa wanted to do that this year. So I, I wasn't exactly shocked by that either. Yeah, I mean, in a year where you can't have gatherings, it's nice that the RD party continues to rage on. So, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, you brought him up, uh, especially securing a spot that got confirmed the other day. But, uh, and next year, too, I really want to talk about Alex Formanton and, um, you know, just how great his development's been in a couple games early this year or well, late in this year, I guess. Um, 
he was someone who came up. I, you know, I had hopes for, but I, I wasn't exactly sure what to, what to expect. You know, obviously he had made the camp or he made the team at a camp two years in a row after his draft year. Um, and then didn't play any games last year in 10 games so far this year, he's got three goals and no assists, but he looks really good and he's fit really well on that penalty kill. Like him and him and Nick Paul on the penalty kill is one of my favorite things to watch together. Um, and you know, Connor Brown's not bad on there either. Um, Formington's been a pleasant surprise to me where it's like he hasn't quite developed as like a, a Drake Batherson or even a Josh Norris type, but the fact that he's just looked like a really solid bottom six player so far has been really encouraging to me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I was so excited to see that, uh, that uh, shorthanded goal the other night against uh, Toronto. That was lots of fun. Um, but yeah, like you said, he's, he's great on the PK. It's been noted, I believe by, uh, by DJ Smith that, you know, opposition defenders on the power player are nervous taking a puck if he's coming at them because if, if they bobble it, you know, he's gone. Uh, so he, he can be a, a, a breakaway machine. I think I've noticed uh, in their play as of late, there a lot of players are, are you know, trying to just kind of like, you know, trip, chip it off the boards or in the air and hoping that he, he's able to, to skate down the ice and pick it up uh, for a breakaway chance. So uh, even on five-on-five five situations, um, it's, it's clear that his speed is pushing play and i think that that's something that the sens really lacked uh, to start the year uh, when we had uh, those veterans playing it. they they weren't uh, you know hemming teams into their own ends so i think having a player uh, like formanton really helps them you know establish you know either number one get scoring chances but on the second part you know, establish a four check and uh, and push play into uh, the other team's end so uh, i've i've really been happy with him i think um you know, two of the biggest things as of late, and they're, they're not, they don't, they might not be the flashy, you know, Stutzla type things, but for this rebuild is uh, the development of both Alex Formanton and uh, Josh Norris. And Norris looks like a, a legitimate top two center in this league uh, who can defend well and win a lot of faceoffs. And, uh, and Formanton looks like he can be, you know, a, a really great, you know, fast, gritty uh, middle six winger. Um, so the, I think those are, are huge for, for this team. Yeah, absolutely. Like the development of prospects has been, you know, we talk about it so much and obviously the Stutzel, Stutzel has been, you know, for good reason, the, the primary point of conversation, but just the development of, as you mentioned, Norris into a legitimate defensive centerman, where even if he's your two C, like he's a guy who's really forming into like, he kind of reminds me of an awesome Kadri type, um, you know, and maybe Sens fans don't want to hear that, but Kadri's a legitimately really good two two C. He's like a fringe one C, I would even say. And he, he always take the big, defensive responsibilities he played them pretty well and he would chip in you know 45 points a year or so and if that's what Josh Norris turns into I would be through the through the moon with that you know like I wasn't sure heading into the year I, I liked Norris I wasn't totally sold on him but the fact that he already looks like a top 6c as you said is super encouraging and then yeah with Formington it's like I think this is just the start for him too. Like, I really do think that, you know, at 21 years old, there's still room for him to grow to the point where he's more than just, you know, a middle six penalty killer kind of guy. Like if he can use that speed and hone in some, some of his skill, like who knows what the ceiling is for him. And then, you know, obviously he's not scoring as much lately, but Drake Batherson being a legitimate top six uh, winger as well has been huge for this team because it just, it, it checks off a bunch of boxes that, you know, you don't need to fill now going forward. Like, Obviously, you want as much depth as you can have, but this team looks a lot worse if Norris looked like a 3C and Batherson looked like a, a third-line winger and Formington didn't look like an NHLer this year compared to, to, you know, two top six players and a middle six guy that looks really good. Um, you know, it's just – it's very encouraging for the rebuild. And, and you know, the next step, I think, is seeing that on the blue line, hopefully, with Branstrom, who you mentioned. I, I've really liked his game in the past – two games since he's gotten a little more responsibility. I thought him and Zub looked great together. Uh, you know, he, he looks just more comfortable passing the puck. And I hope that, you know, that's something you can do because he's, he's a wizard with the puck on his stick when, you know, when he has it. So um, uh, yeah, the, 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 geez, sorry. The development of some of these players has been really encouraging in a year that, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it hasn't had a ton of upside, but for being the 30th place team, this has been a pretty positive year, I would say. Yeah. This does not feel like a team that's, what are we like you know, three or four points ahead of, ahead of the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, the, the vibe around this team, uh, quite frankly, is immaculate. Uh, and that's, that's kind of uh, crazy. Um, but yeah, like you said, there, there's been a lot of development this year. I think there were a lot of question marks um, coming into the season with players um, like Norris um, players like Batherson, uh, even players like Stutzley, who was coming in as, as a rookie. You know, we have, and he, he hasn't been, 
you know, spectacular as of late, but he's still, you know, trending towards being a, a very good uh, NHL player. And if you're looking, um, you know, Shane Pinto's probably going to make his NHL debut this weekend. And then you're running most likely a, your centers as, you know, Norris, Pinto, White, and Tierney. Uh, and I think that's pretty solid right now. Uh, you probably re- look to replace Tierney in the offseason, but, um, you know, there's, there's real signs of life with this team, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, on the Stutzel thing real quick, if, if people are real worried, it's like, go take a look at how every other player from this draft class is playing. Uh, spoiler alert, most of them are not playing. And uh, the few that are, like Lafreniere, uh, he's doing worse than Stutzel, you know, like, or, you know, not even like, not marginally worse, I don't think anymore, but it, it's just, it's hard as hell for an 18 year old, or I guess now 19 year old, but just turned 19 year old to be playing in this league. And, you know, um, the, the encouraging thing for me recently with Stutzel too, is he hasn't been putting up too many points, but his underlying numbers are um, moving up again. Like they were really bad at the, at the beginning of the season, like 35% area for expected goals. He's up to 43, which isn't good by any means, but it's getting better. So, you know, as he's, you know, he's not putting up points right now, but he's, he's, it feels to me anyways, like he's still playing pretty well and the, and the points will come eventually. Um, so I'm not too, too worried about that, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, there were times, um, you know, maybe 10, 20 games ago where I think he was a bit, maybe too casual with the puck. I think, you know, there was a lot of times where he was, you know, turning it over near the blue line or, or losing battles along the boards, uh, whether that be, you know, on the breakout or, you know, trying to keep the puck in, uh, trying to keep the cycle going on the power play. Um, but as of late, I think those battles, uh, he's starting to win a lot more. I think he's starting to, to protect the puck a lot better. And he's starting to give away the puck a lot less. So um, I've really been happy with, with how he's played uh, recently. Uh, and I think the, the points and the goals will come pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Chris Tierney points are really good one too. Um, you know, I've been just starting to you know look at the off season and who might be available, who might not. And one of the things, you know, uh, I've talked to a couple of people and they, they had mentioned they don't really see too much of a need for an upgrade at forward. And I think that's fair enough. If you run most of this core back with, you know, um, maybe one or two other young guys in it instead of like Dezingle or whatever. And, you know, you just get growth for an extra year. This is probably still a pretty good forward core next year, but um, I don't know if there is a move to move Chris Tierney out and someone else in, but if there is, that is something I would definitely be looking at. I, I don't know exactly where you move Chris Tierney to. He's got one more year at 3.5, which isn't the worst cap hit. It's just when everyone's pretty capped out for another year, uh, it might be a little tough to move, but if you could find a legitimate upgrade on your bottom six, and it's not like Chris Tierney's bad, and I don't mean to discourage him or anything like that. He, if he plays their fourth line center role next year, I gotta have no problem with it. But yeah. if you if you can find an upgrade on Chris Tierney, I think that's one of the places that you could maybe look to legitimately upgrade this offseason in terms of up front. Because I really don't think there's too many additions they're gonna make up front. But that that would be one area I'd be looking to see if you could offload his money to like an Arizona or something like that and, and pick up someone else in return. Yeah, we can we can do a reverse uh, step on trade except with Tierney. Uh, to go, go to Arizona. Um, but yeah, I, we, we already touched on Zaitsev, but I think um, if you're looking at those two players who are, are you know, established NHLers who maybe they might not have the same spot on the roster next year or might be trending outside of the roster, the reality is the Sens have enough assets that they can make a trade with those guys and get them out. I mean, there's, there's still... Uh, so many prospects in the organization in the organization and so many draft picks still uh, that, I mean, it's not an ideal situation with those guys, but um, you know, there, there's a lot of flexibility here to, to move on from them if you really want to. Yeah. If you're giving up an asset to legitimately make your team better, I got no problem with that at all. It's um, you know, when I get a little scared is when you're giving up a second to bring in a Derek step on in a year like this or whatever, like that's what you don't want to see, but yeah, um, yeah I, I've definitely, thought around with, uh, you know, the idea, I think I even floated out on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and I asked just a couple of people, I said, you know, what would be the most you're comfortable giving up to Seattle to get rid of that Zaitsev contract? And, you know, I, I think he has a no trade clause or a no move clause of some sort modified. So 10 teams, I don't know if Seattle would be on that list or not. Um, but like, if, if he's willing to go to Seattle, I was trying to figure out what I would be willing to give up. I definitely wouldn't be a first round pick, but if it was a second and, you know, you got to be careful because you saw how like just well Vegas manipulated teams into doing this a couple years ago. But if it was a second round pick and a, 
a C-level prospect or a roster player that they took of some kind, I don't know if I'd be against it because that clears up a ton of money going forward. Yeah, and one thing you have to consider there is if you were doing that trade, it basically becomes, you know, there are a couple other pieces involved in the trade, but Cody Ceci, um, you said a second and a C-level prospect pretty much for Connor Brown, and I think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have no issue with that. Um, be happy with that. So uh, I wonder, Zaitsev has two more years after this, right? Or is it three? Three more after this one. Ooh, yeah, yeah. It might might cost a bit more than a second there. Hey, uh, that's what I was kind of thinking, or maybe a big, better prospect or something like that, or maybe you know, the two seconds or something. I mean, they have their second in San Jose's this year. They have their second in Tampa's next year. They have two thirds next year as well. So they have some picks to work with. Um, you know, if it's just an outrageous cost, don't do it. Like, I, I think there's other ways around it. I think Zaitsev contract becomes buyoutable in a year or two as well. Like when, if you, if you need that money, say in two years, again, I don't know if they'd be willing to buy out $4.5 million. They bought out a couple guys, I guess though, in the past couple of years, but I don't know. It's one of those things where if, if there's a legitimate deal to be swung, I think I would strongly take a look at it. Like, what if he did? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know where you're at with Logan Brown. I think just with how hurt he is, I'm fine with moving on from him. Agreed. A second Logan Brown, and what else do you add on to that to take Sightsev's contract? You probably need to add another pick or player or some sort. But like a deal like that, if they could swing that with Seattle, where Seattle gets an asset, maybe a, a reworkable prospect, maybe a roster player with Sightsev, if you could do that, I would be open to it just to get the money off the books and. So they don't use Zaitsev in a first pair role. Like again, I he seems like a fine enough guy, but DJ Smith seems like he just loves them, and I, I just don't see where that comes. Like I, he's just not a first pair defenseman. Yeah, I'd be happy with him on a third pairing, but you know what a what a fall it's been for Logan Brown that we're now discussing. You know, putting him in a deal to get rid of Nikita Zaitsev um, as the second a, piece too. I think they yeah. would probably rather the second. Like, it's yeah. unfortunate. It's been a it's been a real unfortunate season for Logan Brown because coming into the year, I thought you know Josh Norris and him were competing for uh, for that you know young center spot, and I thought that Logan Brown kind of had the edge there, and Josh Norris you know beat him out and uh, never looked back. So it's a uh, it's too bad uh, for Logan Brown. I feel for the guy because um, you know he's been injured. <laughs> he pretty much gets injured for an extended period, like literally every year. Yeah, and, he uh, hasn't been healthy yeah. for a full year since the Memorial Cup. Like, and that was like yeah, five you, years ago. You can't you can't develop into an NHLer when you you can never hit your stride. Uh, so, uh, I, it's too bad. <laughs> Literally, like, like I'm just going through his hockey DB page now, and like this year he played five games with Belleville because he's been injured all year. And like I was a proponent, I was he like I was angry that he didn't make the team out of camp or, you know, like I thought there was definitely room for him and Norris, you know, and especially when Stepan went down, but he just, he got injured and, and never could take advantage of it, you know? And, and, you know, last year he played uh, 23 games with Ottawa, 25 with Belleville. Um, that's probably the most, he played 56 with Belleville the year before. That's got to be the most he's played, you know, like last year, I think he had a minor injury of some sort. Um, you know, two years ago, he played 56 games and then two with Ottawa. That's pretty good. But even in, you know, his, his uh, D plus one year, he played four games with Ottawa, 15 games with Windsor and 17 games with Kitchener and then three world junior games. And he was hurt for a good large portion of that year too. 2016, 17, he only played 34 or 35 games and four playoff games. Like it was just, he was hurt way too much to do anything and it's been one of those things where it's really unfortunate because they're definitely like you just watch him in in the Belleville and there's a player in there like there's an NHL level player in there but the fact that he can't stay healthy it's just it's hard to give an opportunity when the dude is only healthy for 25 percent of a year right like yeah and then he gets hit with the ultimate disrespect when Derek Stepan takes his number for two games (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah really tough year for Logan Brown (laughs) Yeah. And, and like, I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I was one of his biggest, the biggest defenders heading into the year, but like, yeah, I'm actively okay. If they shift him out in like a deal to get Zaitsev's money off the books or something like that, which is just kind of shown how much he's fallen from grace, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be a really interesting summer to see what they do with the expansion draft because um, I had someone suggest that maybe they would go four fours for defensemen. And that would be the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard of. Cause I don't think they need to protect Zub in this draft. If I, I don't believe I, so either. I think literally the only player they really need to protect is Shabbat because no no one's going to take Zaitsev straight up. Yeah, and maybe everyone else to, is under the eligibility. So maybe they have to protect Mete now. I think 
but like that's fine because he's played four years. So I let me okay. let me check let me check. I'll, I can see if I can do this on cap friendly real quick. But but yeah, like it's literally like at the beginning of the year, it was at the point where they had so few defensemen that they should willingly be protecting that I said a, a great thing for them to do this offseason or at the deadline is go pick up a defenseman from Carolina or someone who's definitely going to be losing a good defenseman and protect them because like Ottawa literally has Shabbat that they like anyone else. I, I don't really care if they lose, you know, like, cause Branstrom is not eligible to be taken. Zub's not eligible to be taken. Like no offense to him. I don't care if they take Josh Brown, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so um, I don't even, where's the tools here. Uh, this is great podcasting on my part. Uh, I can't even find it. Yeah, I, I can't even find it. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Mete would be exposed, but again, there's two defensemen that you have to protect now and you have three. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like I saw some that's someone, again, like I wouldn't put anything past this organization if they felt like they needed to protect Zaitsev Evan Brown or something like that. I just would not agree with it. But it'll be interesting to see what they do with expansion coming up. I'm, the expansion draft is always so much fun to me, especially as a team like, it's not like Ottawa has a, not that they don't have a ton to look forward to, but the off season's usually pretty quiet for the senators, right? Like there's no big free agent splashes most years. So the fact that you can just kind of play around with the creating a brand new team is always a lot of fun. And I think it'll be the same for Seattle this year. Yeah. It's not like a, like a Vegas situation um, where, you have, where you're losing like a, a, a big piece of your roster and Mark Mathos. Uh, I believe on uh, TSN twelve hundred after the deadline, Dorian said that they're, planning for the expansion draft so they don't like the quote was they don't end up with a gun to their head uh so that's uh that's how our organization is planning uh for this going forward i guess that's good i i don't really i don't really know um we'll, we'll say it's good i guess right? i love dorian quotes they're, <laughs> they're so funny they're very fun Okay, now I'm on the Seattle draft thing. Let, let me go because I want to see what Ford. So, yeah, so the, the eligible defensemen are Shabbat, Zaitsev, Josh Brown, Victor Mete, and Cody Golubov. So um, we'll protect Shabbat, Mete, and I guess Josh Brown. Why not? And then up front, it's I'm assuming, you know, you're well, you're definitely protecting Colin White, I would guess. I think they'll probably protect Dadanov. I would assume, even like with his disappointment, like I would, even though he's been disappointing enough this year. Connor Brown, yes. Brady Kachuk, obviously. Uh, Drake Batherson, obviously. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy how quick the uh, the names get small even here. Nick Paul, definitely. Uh, and then you have, I think, one more spot for uh, Ryan Dezingle. They, they won't need to protect him. Austin Watson, Chris Tierney, Logan Brown, Vitaly Abramov. So you, you're probably going to be exposing someone like that. And then at the back end, it's like, you don't protect Matt Murray this year, do you? Like, it's got to be the quarter Gustafson, like, yeah. right? Yeah, there's no chance. Yeah, I was touching Matt Murray. I think uh, I think they're losing a, a goalie. Either. I wouldn't, Gust, if they leave Gustafson exposed, I think he would be a prime target for Seattle. I think Decord too. I think both have uh, a lot of upside. And I think uh, if you're Seattle looking at who's exposed from the Ottawa Senators, there's not a whole lot of enticing options. And I think, uh, I think you'd be pretty happy to take um, a young promising goalie to basically be your third string goalie next year and uh, hopefully turn into a, you know, a top two goalie going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I say Gustafson over to Core, I think they would like both of them, but uh, I believe Gustafson can go through waivers for one more season yet too. So if they took him, he could, he could even be their third string goalie, which like would be, would provide just that much more value too. Cause there isn't much of good goalies on the market. I think this year for them, you know, um, I guess Vegas actually doesn't need to lose anyone, but uh, uh, Columbus has a couple good goalies. Uh, Montreal is going to have to expose Jake Allen, who I don't think would be the worst option for a, um, startup franchise to be taking you know there's there's definitely a couple names out there that they uh they have to choose from but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if Ottawa lost a goalie either just simply because of how poor the options are up front like i just did this really quick and up front i have derek stepan artem anisimov ryan dezingle chris tierney austin watson exposed uh logan brown is also exposed jonathan davidson uh logan shaw clark bishop Michael Haley, Michael Amadio, and Matthew Pekka as the guys that I'm exposing. Like, out of all of those guys, maybe you take a flyer on Logan Brown, but like, like there's just not many options, right? So yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they took a goalie. But um, 
yeah, other than that, I don't know if I have much more to talk about. Do you? I'm trying to think if there's anything else we missed this week. Yeah, we really uh, did a run through of the entire roster there. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Like, I, we really live. I'm trying to think if there's even a player we didn't talk about this week. Uh, maybe Connor Brown. His eight we didn't games. Talk about Brady eight, Kachuk too much. No, that's true. I, I feel like Brady's at this point where it's like he's just so good that Brady. you know he's going to be so good, right? So when he is that good, it's just, there's nothing to talk about. It's like, yeah, Brady Kachuk's still amazing. Like, the only yeah. time you talk about him is like if he didn't have a good game or whatever, and it's not even like it's that big of a deal. It happens to everyone, but he's like it's kind of impressive that he is at that level already, to be honest. Oh, absolutely. Um, he he's such a tremendous player to watch, and he's such a uh, a great leader for this team. I mean, you you listen to any post game uh, interview uh, that he does, and he's he's always talking about. Um, the, the the team going forward and and how this this group's gonna uh, grow and he's always referring to um, prospects coming up as you know they're gonna be studs in this league uh, so um, it's I think he's he's buying into this I mean I'm um, I'm interested to see how his contract unfolds um, I think they'll get something done it, I won't be shocked or or disappointed if it's a three year I think that's just the the reality of uh, of our post COVID um, yeah, sports uh, contract world um, with a flat cap. Um, but I think, I think, you know, you've got to get that contract done. And I think he's, uh, he's pretty evidently the captain uh, next year. Yeah. I could see him taking a similar deal to what his brother took in Calgary, where it was Agreed. adjusted for whatever the cap would be at the time. Right. I think Matthews was three or four years at 6 million or something. You know, if Brady came in at say, three or four years at 7.5 or whatever, I think that would be a good deal. I, If I'm Ottawa, I'm trying to extend him as long as I can, but I definitely see why Brady would probably take a bridge deal. And I don't think that's the end of the world. Like people are going to freak out in Ottawa if that's the case, but I don't think, it, you know, it's not the end of the world, right? Like it, it is what bridge deals happen. You can, you can deal with it and it, it, there's ups and downs. It'll give you some more cap flexibility to start. And then you figure out where you go in three or four years. But yeah, it's the second that deal gets done, you announce he's, he's the captain with it as well, because I just, I don't think there's a, there's no debate anymore. Right. Like it's. Yeah. I think it's pretty it's evident. Like, I mean, I was, I was pretty, um, you know, leaning towards Shabbat. I mean, he's been around longer. He's, he's got the bilingual factor and I think that's huge in a market like Ottawa, but I mean, every single night, uh, Kachuk is, is dragging this team, uh, into battle. Uh, if I were the Sens, I'd be, you know, paying extra to get it up to five years. I think, uh, I think that would maybe calm some, uh, nerves in this, uh, in this fan base. Um, but uh, pretty excited to to see that get done and to see uh, the C on his jersey. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not really worried about. It. I know some people are a little little antsy about it and just you know the the history and everything. And I, I don't know. Like sometimes I just see. I mean, you get a take of everything on Twitter, obviously. But I'll, I'll log on to Twitter and people will be like, "Yeah, he hates it here. He actually hates this organization." It's like, what what about Dreddy Kachuk right now makes you think that? Like, there's just nothing to suggest that on or off the ice. Like. Yeah, I think if well, number one, uh, obviously there are some some worries about signing free agents, but you got to realize that he's a uh, he's still twenty one or twenty two RFA, um, so it's not like it's you know late twenties Eric Carlson as a UFA, uh, and uh, um, you know I think uh, I think this definitely gets done for sure. Yeah, I mean they're two biggest RFAs lately have been Colin White and Thomas Shabbat, and both of those guys they felt comfortable giving long-term deals. Yeah. I mean, you could argue to Colin White's doesn't look as great in, a, anymore, but you know, Thomas Shabbat at eight by eight was shocking when it happened, but uh, pleasantly surprised. So it's not like they're against locking down the, the core if they need it, but yeah, I'm not worried about Brady at all. I think, you know, that that contract will come this summer and you know, the captain captaincy will come right with, it. I thought Shabbat would have been a good option. It's not a slight on him that we think Brady's a little more suited, but um, definitely excited to see where this team goes. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and you know, Everything you do, um, just on Twitter at Steve on Sends, and then uh, also um, I've got uh, Sends Lore fandom. So it's sendslore.fandom.com. Um, it's basically just a wiki where you can really write your own articles about whatever you want for this team. Um, I just think it's it's fun to keep those inside jokes going. Um, gives helps new fans uh, learn more about uh, how much you know <laughs> how strangely fun this team is to follow. So. Um, that's a website you can check out too. Um, but yeah, mostly just at Steve on Sons on Twitter. 
Absolutely. As I said earlier, can't recommend it enough. You're one of my favorite follows on Twitter, always making me laugh. Uh, keep up the great work, man. I'll have to have you on later again when there's, when there's more to talk about, too. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. Huge thanks to Steve for joining me. Uh, seriously, I had a lot of fun. As always, you know, it feels like every episode, it's just uh, I'm getting to learn something new from from everyone who comes on. And I'm really enjoying this experience of, you know, hosting a podcast. Uh, as always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. It's also where you can find my other podcast. I do a Chase McCallum, the MNM Hockey Podcast, if you want to hear more of my voice. Uh, that is more NHL-based. We kind of look at everything going around the league. Uh, we really had, I, I felt, a good preview and uh, recap of the NHL trade deadline come out over the past week and a half or so. So if you want to go listen to those, you can find that wherever you find this podcast. You can also find the podcast account on Twitter, at LastWordOnSends, and my own account, at NHLSends and stuff. Um, so, and if you want to hear any of my Colorado Avalanche writing, or sorry, read any of my Colorado stuff, I guess, that'd be at milehighhockey.com. So, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, thank you, Steve, for joining me. And uh, I'll probably be back in about a week or so. I've got uh, exams coming up here. This is coming out on a Friday as I'm, I'm recording this right now. Uh, and I have an exam on the Saturday and then next Thursday and Friday. So uh, more than likely I will be recording probably next weekend sometime. Uh, you know, maybe Saturday, maybe Sunday. If there's anyone you want to hear, as always, just give me a shout and I'll do my best to get them on. So, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great week. 